Today's episode is brought to you by H&R Block Tax Pro Go, expert tax prep without the office visit. The only way out of feeling stuck is to move. And by movement, I mean create some space in your life to start trying to think deeply and proactively about what can I do to change things? What can my next step be? You won't necessarily find the immediate answer, but it's asking the key questions that I think can help. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team, to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Today, we welcome Erica Williams-Simon to Skimmed from the Couch. Erica is a writer, podcast host, and the CEO of Sage House Media. As a self-described professional question asker, she facilitates conversations to inspire social change. Her new book, You Deserve the Truth, discusses the career decisions she made in order to rewrite her life story, and she shares how you can do the same. Erica, we are so excited to have you with us, mainly because... You have interviewed us many times, <laughs> and now we have you on the other side of the table. I'm kind of And you're a good interviewer. So, yes. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, I feel a lot of pressure right this, now. No, this yeah. is going to be fun. You're, you're great. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the couch. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start how we start every interview. Just give me your resume for us. So I started out my career in politics. I'm born and raised in the D.C. area and went to the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, which is the nation's oldest, largest civil rights coalition that no one has ever heard of. But they're behind every major piece of civil rights legislation since the March on Washington. And they're a coalition of women's orgs and LGBT orgs and black orgs and brown orgs. And so what was awesome about it was right then I got to kind of get a lay of the land of the entire like social justice progressive policy world. So from there, I went to run the national youth arm for the Center for American Progress, which they call like the White House in waiting. It's Clinton's chief of staff ran it. And it was just the forefront of progressive policy. And my job was to figure out how to work with young people, millennials, to get them involved and support their campaigns. And in the process, ended up on TV quite a bit and like a spokesperson and fell in love with that part of the work. Did a couple more jobs in that arena. Went to the Citizen Engagement Lab, which is like this really cool incubator for social change projects and kind of had carved out this role for myself as like the voice of progressive millennial America. You know what I mean? And I loved it and it was fun and it was flashy and exciting. And yet there was a part of me that felt like I want more than this for my life. I felt very limited. I then became the creative director, the first creative director of Upworthy, which at the time was like a social good BuzzFeed. Wrote a book and then went to Snapchat and built a program there called the Creators Lab. It was the first of its kind. It was a program and a physical space to bring storytellers, digital media creators, and influencers together to have meaningful conversations. And now I run my own company. So that's the that's the resume and the highlights. So we can get that's into everything skim. else. <laughs> what is something not on your LinkedIn that we should know about you? I have been singing in the choir and directing the choir since I was a little girl. So music is like my passion outside of work. And I bring that up just because it's kind of what I do is try to create the same spaces professionally that I felt as a little girl growing up a pastor's kid, singing and having meaningful conversations in community with people. That's still very much a part of the mindset that I bring to everything I do. What's your favorite song to sing? 
Whitney Houston's I Love the Lord, which she sang oh. in The Preacher's Wife. Yes. It's one of my yes. favorites. I love that movie. Uh, it's so good. When you started to say Whitney Houston, I was like, oh, my God, me, too. I'm like, I want to dance with somebody. And then you went into a much Very better religious. direction. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. I want to dance with somebody is a good one. So let's talk about how you grew up. You grew up in D.C. Mm-hmm. Your father was a preacher. Yep. And you call yourself a preacher's daughter for life. What does that mean to you? The way that I view the world, everything that I am came from that experience. So the way TV depicts black churches is actually not the way that most black churches in America are. Most of them are actually very small, kind of like mom and pop. They call them storefront churches. Um, So that's what ours was. And it felt like a giant family. He started the church literally in our basement when I was nine months old. So when people say they grew up in church, I'm like, ha no, I really did. Like literally. <laughs> um, of course, then the church moved out and had a real building and all that stuff. But my life revolved around a couple key principles around service. So ours was the door that was always open. If you needed a place to stay, if you needed to be bailed out of jail in the middle of the night, like you called my father, it was that kind of orientation around just selfless giving. It was oriented around having honest, authentic conversations. So whether it was because he was counseling people or the youth group or Sunday mornings, it was just, this is the place where you can be real, where you can be authentic. He used to always say like, we're not interested in your Sunday best, like how you look in your outfit, but we want to get to know the real you and have meaningful conversations conversations. And so that has kind of been a thread through everything that I've done in my life. I realized that I've been doing that, whether it was in the sphere of politics or media or tech. My main mission was to like, let's cut through the BS and have meaningful conversations that can help you change your life and change the world in some way. And I got that straight from from my father and really both of my parents. We met you before ever really knowing this part of your background. Mm -hmm. And so It was really fun to kind of research and read more about you and realize like what a huge part of who you are is really based around your dad and based around growing up that way and around faith. We were struck by something you had once said where you said you define and view faith very specifically, that your faith is about wonder. What does that mean? In general, but particularly for our generation, for those who grew up like in the 90s and 2000s and even now, the way that faith is presented in the public sphere is very much about certainty. Like you have to know these things and believe these things. There are these like lines around religion that say if you, you know, you have to know with absolute certainty that this happened in this way. And I just find that to be such a limiting way of thinking about a God who is ultimately big, massive and unknowable. Right. And so I prefer to think of faith as looking at the awe and wonder of the things that I don't understand and the things that there are no clear answers for. Like, I'm not going to sit and debate science. There's an answer for that. Right. But there's so many things we don't know and don't understand. You can't put words to love. You can't put words to kind of like your own growth and development and all of these beautiful, amazing things. And so my faith practice practice is really grounded in just the wonder and awe of life and how how it exists and how we communicate and engage with one another. And I think if you do that, you can kind of free yourself from so many of the restrictions that society and institutions have put on your faith and your spirit and your internal life. I feel like that was beautiful. Thank (laughs) Thank you. you. (laughs) um, I'm amazed that someone who has this authentic sense of faith can then go into politics. Girl, me too. <laughs> right? And yeah. I yeah. I say authentic sense of faith because I think that both parties, all parties, there's kind of a religious pandering. How did you reconcile that? It was hard, but I went in pretty naive. I went into that world for the purest reason possible, which I must say, actually, a lot of my colleagues did too. Let's be clear, a lot of people who are doing social impact work, whether on the activist side or the political side, 
tend to go in with a really pure mission. I want to change people's lives. I want to help people recognize their own power, change systems and structures, all that stuff. Like I felt like it was a continuation of my father's work and what he did in our community. And I was like, this is just a different scale, a different level and a way to do that. That, you know, spirit and, and service is one thing, but let's talk about systems. So I went in with that mindset and then saw what it is that I think everybody sees, which is, you know, all the red tape, all the hypocrisy, again, very similar to how most people view religion, right? These are institutions that are very change focused. And I think when you go in with that, power gets involved and things become corrupted. And so it was really hard. And I talk about this in the book, in the chapter on faith and actually in the chapter on work and in the chapter on identity. I think I talk about it a couple of times. times. I do. (laughs) But just this idea that I was struggling to reconcile all the different parts of who I was. And so at work, I didn't talk about faith a lot for very obvious reasons, right? Especially if you're progressive, we're not supposed to talk about that because faith and religion is supposed to be owned by conservatives. And so that's just not a thing that's really cool to talk about. And then on the flip, when I was home in my faith environment, I was not talking about the fact that like, hey, I am on the front lines literally fighting for marriage equality, fighting for reproductive rights and justice, which were taboo topics in the church. And so I was kind of walking this line for a while. And I think part of why I ended up at a point where I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to remake my life and write a new story for myself was because of that. I was living kind of this divided existence. Well, a lot of people, I would say, don't necessarily have the extreme of the divided existence that you're referencing. Lots of people have a job and feel like this isn't me. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not fulfilled because of a multitude of reasons, but ultimately, like, this isn't for me. That doesn't mean that everybody is like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and rewrite my story. That is a really, really hard thing to do and to have the courage to do. I want to just kind of get into your mindset around how you thought about stepping away from that. And also, I want to talk about your relationship with money, because it's not just emotional courage that you need to have to step away from something, but it's also financial courage, which is a really personal thing to think through. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. As I've been on book tour, I've been saying, like, you don't have to do it this way. You can slow down. You can think. I didn't do much of that. I abruptly quit my job. Um, Can you talk about how you quit your job? It was an angry email. I just don't recommend that. (laughs) I had just come back from my honeymoon. I was, you know, just on this high of living life. I'd been doing yoga, whatever. (laughs) I came back. And it was, to be fair, my last job was not a great job. It was really toxic. I had a terrible boss. I was being disrespected. It wasn't just like, I'm I'm, I'm mildly unhappy. It was like a job I needed to get out of. I didn't plan on doing it that day, but I'd gotten an email that was like, once again, while I had been on vacation, it had changed changed my job description without any conversation about it. They had messed up my pay. Like there was just all of these things. And I don't know what came over me because I am not usually a person who does things just that suddenly. But I sent an email and I was like, okay, great. Thank you. This is my last day working for you. Bye-bye. And <laughs> and I walked into my living room with my brand spanking new husband and was like, so I just quit my job. What did he say? He was stunned. But on the other hand, he's like, All right, Erica. Okay. Like, I don't make rash decisions, but I do move with my gut. And he knew how miserable I'd been in that job. So he was surprised, but he wasn't surprised. I, on the other hand, became very surprised, like maybe like an hour later. Like at first, you have that feeling. (laughs) By the way, did they write back? Uh, I don't know. I logged out of my email. (gasps) I never logged back on. 
So you never. I have, have spoken to, to them since then, but I don't know what their reaction was yeah. on that oh, day about God. that. Yeah, it was. How could you? I would be like trying to get back in. I know. I would yeah. have the moment of me five minutes later, what did I just do? I need to see what they wrote. I need to like get oh, all my I, stuff. I, like, I felt like I'd had some sort of a stroke. Like it was like <laughs> you do it and then you feel like really high and it's just like super exciting. And then slowly it settles in. I tell that story for two reasons. One, you don't have to do it that way. But two, I, I do tell it because people like me are never supposed to do that. When you hear the quitting stories, you've got your Eat, Pray, Loves. You've got your Jerry Maguires, right? Like young women, young black women, young low to middle income women are never supposed to step back. There's a stigma around the idea of quitting. And I just encourage people not to abruptly quit or make unwise decisions but to know that it is okay to step away from something that isn't serving you. The world will not end. If you can figure out, and we'll get into that part, the financial piece of it, which is huge, I just want to take away the stigma of that. Because sometimes you have to take a step away. Even if you can't quit your job, though, I do think it's imperative that however you can in your life that you create some space, as opposed to just dwelling in the unhappiness and the being unfulfilled and the complaining, which we naturally do, right? you got to let off steam some way. But I think there's just this sense of feeling stuck and the only way out of feeling stuck is to move. And by movement, I mean create some space in your life to start trying to think deeply and proactively about what can I do to change things? What can my next step be? You won't necessarily find the immediate answer, but it's asking the key questions that I think can help. As CEOs, we are very busy. Very, very busy, important people. And we are always looking to get time back. And in that way, we are just like everyone else because <laughs> no one has enough time. No matter what you do, no matter where you're from, there are never enough hours in the day. So we are obsessed with helping all of you spend your time wisely. And we are going to give you the biggest tip on that. It is H&R Block's Tax Pro Go. Tis the season. You have to do your taxes. Taxes are easy when you use H&R Block's Tax Pro Go. All you have to do is upload your tax documents, and a tax pro literally does everything else. It is truly the easiest way to have the expert like do it for you, but you don't have to go anywhere. You do it at home, and they're trained to get you every deduction and credit that you deserve. Go to hrblock.com slash skim. That is hrblock.com slash skim. It is better with block, and we couldn't recommend this more. I want to talk about the financial part mm -hmm. because I always feel like, to your point, when we hear these stories or when we talk about our story and taking on credit card debt, I feel like that part gets glossed over when you're yeah. hearing stories where it works out. How did you think through that? And what's your advice to people that are going through that themselves? I mean, advice, one, advice point number one is do not abruptly quit your job. You can actually take a little bit of time to plan. But in either case, um, so I'll tell you what happened with me. So I... Um, also, how old are you at this point? 27. 27. No, 28. Sorry, I was 28. And, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do next. 
and this is the part that's going to piss people off because it's like my faithy miracle magic <laughs> stuff. But the next day I had an email in my inbox from someone I had met before in like a kind of professional networking group who said, hey, I don't know if you do consulting, but I've got a client that I think would love to just talk to you and pick your brain about kind of how to engage millennials and social impact stuff. And I was like, yes, I definitely do consulting. I absolutely do. I had never consulted before. I had no idea what that in entailed. But I was like, OK, yes. And the client ended up being Coca-Cola. Like it was oh a massive, yeah. so random. But that was a short term project. And it wasn't like a consistent income. And it took a while to get paid. And I still didn't really know what I was doing. I also had throughout the entirety of my work life had a side gig, which is also something I encourage people to do. Don't run yourself ragged and drive yourself into the ground. You don't need to have 10 jobs. My identity has never been solely tied to my one job because I know that all of who I am can't fit into one job. We try to put pressure on ourselves to kind of have every single part of who we are and every passion and every gift and talent in one job. That will never happen. So I've always had multiple streams of income. So I had media and communications training on the side that I'd always done. And so I basically put the word out, like, I can do more of that now, guys. And so I kind of consistently had that coming in. Did that hustle come from your family? Like, where did that come from that you always had that stuff happening? It wasn't even the hustle that came from my family. What came from my family was the idea that you have to use all of your gifts. It was, again, a very existential, spiritual thing that if you have gifts and talents, it is your job to figure out how to use them to serve the world. So it wasn't really about like I got to hustle and have multiple yeah. jobs. It was like, OK, if my job isn't taking advantage of the fact that I do this, too, I'm going to go find a way to do it. It really was me trying to find fulfillment that then turned into, OK, so then that means you're a hustler and you have multiple gigs. How do you react when people say, I want to be able to bring my whole self to work? Well, that's rare. <laughs> it's very rare. The metaphor that I give in the book is that statement is like pretending you have to get all of your belongings in a carry-on suitcase, in one carry-on, right? I'm it's someone who has to check every time I understand what you're Do saying. you really? No. Oh, my God. Not every, no, it is annoying one time. one time. <laughs> and we were gone for 10 days. And like, I don't understand how you didn't check. And when I told I you I was check checking, now. you should have just checked with me. It's fine. <laughs> okay. It, it, it okay. was really annoying, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay. Very Continue. annoying. Continue. But like, you don't have to fit your entire life in a carry-on. You have multiple suitcases. And so it is important that you can bring your best self to work. Meaning if you are coming to work and the part of you that is showing up is not you know, positive is not maximizing your talent. That's a problem. But you don't have to bring your whole self. Even when I was talking about, you know, like my faith side and my progressive political side, I wasn't looking for a job that was going to let me like have a protest sign in one arm and like a communion cup in the other. Like I, I'm not expecting my job to allow me to express all of those. I wanted to be in a place where I didn't have to pretend to be someone else. It's rare that you'll find a job that takes advantage of every single one of your talents and skills. You can put those into different areas of your life with side hustles, with hobbies, with community service. Your job is to complete the circle of your life, but you don't have to do that in one slice. You moved to Los Angeles. I did. Why? I wish I had like a super bossy, progressive, feminist answer for that. My husband, and I, he wanted to move. And I went kicking and screaming because I was like, California? How'd your family react? 
Oh, they were not happy. <laughs> my grandmother, till the day that she passed away, she passed away a couple years ago. We were very, very close. And she she loved my husband, too, because we've known each other since high school. So he's part of the family. But till the day she passed away, every time I would come home, she would pat my hand and say, he won't let you leave Hollywood. <laughs> so go, first of all, Grandma, I don't live in Hollywood. Second, he's not, like, holding me hostage. But, yeah, my family was not happy about the move. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, but, but I'm glad I did. At the time that I'd quit my job, I didn't know what the next, forget job, I didn't know what the next season of my life was. Who was I going to be next? What was my identity? What did I want to do? And it was so good to be in a new space to explore that, to be in a space where LA is a very like multi-hyphenate culture. I'm a this and a this and a this and a this. And that was what I needed to be and who I am. So it was good to be in that environment. One of the things we get asked a lot is when people either have gaps on their resume, like in terms of years taken off, or whether maybe they were consulting or freelancing or doing multiple things at once, how to position themselves then for a full-time role. Mm -hmm. Because you did eventually take full-time roles at what were small startups then, and then (laughs) one became Snap. Uh, But how did you position yourself as someone for a full-time role? If I was going to pick one career skill, I would tell people it's the art of crafting your story. And I don't mean that in like the abstract sense, like your life journey. I mean, literally, what is the story? How do you tell A to Z what has happened in your life? And people don't recognize their power to do that. You assume that you have these pieces. I have this job. I have this consulting gig. I have this gap. And I just have to present the pieces to someone and let them put them together however they want. No, you decide how you string them together. So, for example, instead of saying, well, I worked in politics and I had a job and then I left that job and then I was consulting and I was consulting with a corporate client and this and that. And then I work in tech. I would string it together to say I've been on a journey in three different industries to identify how to tell the best stories to young people. Right. Like that is a way of talking about it. Another way of talking about it is I could say at three change focused industries, I have worked to help young people figure out the best way to create meaningful impact and transformation. It's not lies. It's not spin. It's packaging. And you can't do that on the fly. You have to take the time to kind of look and say, what is the thread here? What was similar between this experience and that experience, even if they were wildly different jobs or wildly different industries? Has there been one key motivation? Has there been one key skill set that you've used? And tying it together gives someone the ability to say, this is the package I'm presenting you, and it looks good. What has been helpful to you as you have gone through those moments of introspection? Two things. So one is faith. But the way that I'll talk about that here is just saying, like, really developing your inner life before you start seeking out Instagram quotes, influencers, books. I mean, all of those things can be helpful. But I found that they are most helpful once you've done the inner work to figure things out as best as you can on your own first. And here's why I say that. Influencers and self-help books and all that stuff can be very, very helpful. I mean, I know I wrote one. It is amazing and it is hopefully very practical and helpful to everyone who's trying to carve out a new life. But they don't replace the inner work you have to do for yourself. First of all, you're never seeing anyone's entire story anyway. You're looking at their Instagram account and you're like, wow, that was easy for them. They quit their job and then the next day they had a brand supporting them or whatever it is. And you don't know the real story. So one is like being really consistent and committed to my own inner growth. Like, what does it mean to listen to myself? What do I actually enjoy doing? So that's one thing. And the second is just to as best you can find people who get you and support you, whether that's friends or a partner or if you need 
to join some sort of group, whatever it is. But I found that I wasn't the only one going through this transition at that time. I mean, some people had quit their jobs. Some people hadn't, but understood and were able to say like, yeah, I'm rooting for you. You got this. When you are working for somebody else, working at a company, are you good on a team? I'm very good on a team. I'm not happy being told what to do. So are you hard to manage? (laughs) I think I am, to be honest. I'm hard because I am always the person in the room that like if someone tells me what to do, I'm like, cool, I have a suggestion though. (laughs) Can we do it this way instead? Like, so it's annoying, I'm sure. So because a lot of people would say they also are gut-driven. What you're talking about resonates with them, which is that there are very key parts of themselves that they are bringing to work and Mm -hmm. the parts of themselves that maybe people don't see yet. And they make decisions in a way that works for them and isn't necessarily like because they're following a rule book and an operational plan. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that those people are going to necessarily quit their jobs and and start something. So I'm very curious what advice you would give to those people about how to thrive in a more corporate environment. The mindset shift that I had that eventually made me a good employee, even though I don't like being an employee, made me a good (laughs) one, was when I saw every opportunity as a chance to learn something. I would see these environments as, okay, this this is like school. I'm here to learn something. Learn people. Learn what it is they're doing and how are they making decisions. And I started to see it as a challenge to kind of learn as much as I could. We tend to, because we're not bringing our full selves to work, which we don't necessarily need to, but we tend to have very surface and shallow conversations with the people that we work with. The more I was really transparent and honest at work about what I was struggling with at work, let me be clear, not my my personal life, but, um, you know, hey, I'm having a difficult time with this, or I saw it this way, you saw it this way, can you explain? Explain that to me. Or, yeah, I'm usually not good in this environment, but I'm trying to get better. Can you help me? Like, just being really honest, the more my connections with my bosses were authentic and they actually wanted to help me thrive and didn't see me as competition, it just felt much more collaborative. So learning and being as honest and transparent as you can about where you are, if you are having any challenges, I found that the combination of those two things made me a much better team member. So the single worst thing happened to me. Yes. Have you ever accidentally picked up your significant other's toothbrush and used it by mistake? Because that happened to me. And I, if I could take out my tongue and my teeth, I would. It was just the most horrifying thing in the entire world. That's, that's gross. It was gross. And it reminded me that if I had used my Quip, I would have known what was mine. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide to a full and even clean. Also, I really appreciate this. Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months because who remembers to switch them out? They do that with free shipping, so your routine is always right on. And if you go to getquip.com slash skim right now, you will get your first refill free. That is your very first refill free at getquip.com slash skim. I'm going to spell it for you. It is G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash skim. Quip is the good habits company. You've called yourself a one-woman important conversations business, (laughs) which I I like. How do you suggest people start that conversation? At work or just in general? I think in general, because I think a lot of people want to be introspective 
And also there are so many demands and distractions and you're refreshing a feed, checking email, yeah. text goes off, that it's hard to know how to actually start having those types of conversations either with yourselves mm -hmm. or with the other people in your life. I suggest practicing asking questions. I was just with a friend yesterday and he was like, oh, I get so annoyed when people ask, how am I? I was like, what? That's a very general, basic question. He's like, I mean, that's the point. Like, what is it that you want to know? Do you want to know how my day was? Do you want to know how I'm doing emotionally? And I was like, who's going to come up to you and just ask out of the blue, how are you doing emotionally? Like, that's intense <laughs> and weird. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I know, but I just want to get to the heart of the issue. And I was like, okay, no one's going to start off that way. But it is a good practice to, as you're having conversations, to keep asking questions to go a little bit deeper as opposed to leaving things at the surface level. So instead of just saying like, oh, how are you? Fine. Great. You can ask someone, what's been going on with your week as they answer questions continuing to ask because I find that we all start off surface all of us like we all start off with just the quick answers and the quick shallow questions but the deeper we go the more people realize you're genuinely interested in me you're genuinely interested in what I have to say or what I think and when people feel as if they matter they tend to much more quickly be authentic and strip some of that surface to me that's the easiest way to start is to make sure that whoever you're talking to knows that you you actually care about what they're saying and continue to ask deeper questions what is narrative intelligence it's my favorite thing it's really the core kind of principle that I teach in the book narrative intelligence is our ability to understand and see the stories that are shaping us and shaping the world around us. So we talk about, you know, emotional intelligence. There's IQ, right? But no one ever teaches us that everything we see, everything we consume is telling us a story that is shaping how we think and how we view the world. And all the industries that I work in, they know this very well, right? Like politics understands the power of story. Media understands the power of story. Even the tech industry, right? I worked at Snapchat. I mean, Snapchat literally created the vertical story format, story being a frame for your experience. These are industries that understand using story to get people to think a certain way, believe and behave a certain way. And we, the average person, are just sitting around consuming and have no idea that that's happening. So narrative intelligence is in some ways putting that power back into the hands of people and saying, OK, when I'm watching this film, what is it actually telling me? What is the premise based on? What is the narrative here? Yes, it's a fun love story, but it is telling me the story that there is one soulmate, one person for me out of the billions of people on this planet. Do I believe that or not? Right. Like asking mm -hmm. that question. That's narrative intelligence in practice. If someone is telling me that the best way to succeed is to hustle and make a lot of money and blah, 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 blah. And they have this kind of very clear path to stop and ask yourself before you just run in and do what they say, ask yourself, what are they telling me about success? What is the story here about my purpose or about my identity? Do I believe that? Yes or no. It's not up to me to tell you whether it's good or bad, but just the act and the art of saying, what is the real story here and how can I see it? And then make a conscious choice to accept it or reject it. So I'm sure people are listening and probably going to be very inspired and are going to be like, I didn't know who Erica was. Oh, I'm going to follow her now. Like, I, I like this story. I like, I like the story she is telling. And they're going to buy her book. Yeah, and they're going to buy her I book. I hope so. But I think that the question people are going to have is, 
how do you make money doing what you're doing? Like, how, what <laughs> yeah. is your job? What yes. does your day to day look like? It's funny. I just found someone the other day who said, oh, it's a portfolio career. And I was like, oh, oh. what is that? Fancy it's, buzzword. It's I like a new it. buzzword that I just <laughs> learned. But it, it means I do several things, but they are all tied to what we've just talked about. So how do I make money? I consult with organizations or brands when they want to have important conversations, whether with their employees or their consumers. I'll come in and help them design an event or design kind of a messaging campaign or design like we want to have an important conversation about issue X or about topic X. Erica, help us strategize that. Come facilitate that. So that's one way. Second way is through content. So through books, through podcasts, through workshops and trainings. So I come in and I actually help people. I help staff. I help regular individual people craft their story and understand how to better talk about their life, their work. And then the last thing is like hosting and facilitating. So moderating and interviewing because I love to ask questions. So those are all the pieces. What Sage House does, which is my company, is it does all that, like I said, specifically for brands and for organizations. And so we'll come in and design the meaningful conversation that helps you rewrite a story. Can you talk about the name? Yes. So it's funny. I didn't think about this at first, which I probably should have. But being in California, when I said Sage House, people thought I meant like Sage. Like That's why plant. I asked. I was like, no, we, it's... I, we have been known to sage our office many really? times yeah. during the year <laughs> yes. and my home. So wasn't that, but I guess it works too because I am very spiritual and hippy-dippy. But no, I meant it because sage as in a wise person, that we are a generation and an, a society right now that is so overloaded with information and we have access to anything we want to know at our fingertips. But wisdom is deeper than that. It is how do you apply that? Is how do you process that? How do you sort through that information and find gems that help us live better lives? That is what sages are. And I think we have too few sages and too many influencers. And so kind of what my mission is with these conversations and these spaces and this content is always to dig deep and get to the true wisdom of how we can live. Time for our last round, favorite round. Okay. Lightning round. Always scares Lightning. Me. First job. Working in physical therapy, a PT assistant, physical therapist assistant. Worst job. The one that I had that I quit. Who's the first phone call you make when you get good news? My husband. What about when you get bad news? My sister. What's the most recent show you binged? Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. Ooh. I'm obsessed. Ooh. It's really good. What's your biggest vice? Carbs. <laughs> like a lot of French yes, fries. Oh, like yeah. Any potato. Love a good potato. <laughs> Last book you read? Atomic Habits by James Clear. L.A. or D.C.? Ooh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> How about L.A. or New York? Oh, L.A. I can't stand New York. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> What's your shameless plug? Shameless plug is my book, You Deserve the Truth, my website, ericawilliams.com, where you can sign up for workshops that I'm leading, virtual workshops about the topics in the book. Awesome. Erica, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 